Hello, and welcome to Next Episode of The Prestige, a podcast about films, filmmaking, and film theory. In each programme, we'll focus on a particular movie, and we're going to review it, talk about it, and discuss some of the ideas and themes that it throws up. And as always, we'll end our talk or discussions with recommendations for films to watch from this from this week's film. Further reading, if you will. The links are going to be as close or as tenuous as we kind of want. My compadre on this podcast is Rob Maythorne, a wealth of experience in the UK film industry and many, many years of being wrong about movies from Die Hard 2 to She's All That. <laughs> and I am Sam Knowles, a writer, teacher, editor about all sorts of subjects, race, politics, literature, film, sport, you name it. You know... Sam's a very qualified person when it comes to literature and books. I would never dare tell him he's wrong about books. Yet me being the person in the room with a degree in film, and I mean, well, you know, apparently I'm wrong about films. No, you're, no the majority... That, that, that's that Oxbridge... The region. majority of films you're totally right about. Just so you just have a blind spot about Freddie Prince Jr. and Bruce Willis. That's, that's it. Yeah. Uh, he's so pretty. So, Sam, this week... Your choice. Yes, this week to kick off our season of Christmas films on the podcast, I chose the 1990 film Home Alone. Where are you going? We're going to miss the plane. When the McAllister family left on their Christmas vacation, did we miss the plane? No, you just made it. Yeah! They forgot one small thing. Have yourself. I've a terrible feeling. Did you lock up? Yeah. Do we set the timers on the lights? Mm-hmm. What else could we be forgetting? Our troubles will be ours. Kevin! Though its director, Chris Columbus, is probably better known for the early Harry Potter films, this is definitely the movie that made Macaulay Culkin. Um, he was eight, well, he wasn't eight at the time, he was nine at the time, but the character is eight. Um, some good support from Daniel Stern and Joe Pesci as the robbers, um, but there really is only one star. And uh, Macaulay Culkin's Kevin McAllister is mistakenly left alone by his family in the run-up to Christmas. And I think that's about all I need to say, because everyone knows the story, don't they? Rob? Yes, I, I, I think this is one of those films that... Everyone knows what happens to it. Everyone's seen it. Everyone has has seen it. Even if, you know, no matter who you are, you've seen mm. this film. Yes. Um, genuinely, I can't remember watching it as a kid, but it's like Beatles lyrics. You're kind of born having seen it. You're kind of born having known all the lyrics mm. to Beatles songs. I, I, I mean, it almost doesn't need a recommendation, really, in that I think it's a brilliant film. I think it is as it is a perfect Christmas family film. I think it is funny. I think it is light-hearted. I think Macaulay Culkin is famous for a good reason. I think he he nails these parts, and I think that all the supporting acts are great with it. Yes, Sam. um, I do do like this film. I, I mean, like you, I don't remember seeing it as a kid, but but you're right. You tend to have, have always already seen it to be positive theoretical about it um, I, I like the fact that what you watch this for, film for changes as you get older um, and it's something that we've sort of been moving towards in, in recent weeks talking about how 
how the perception of um, periods of your life changes. We were talking about this with with uh, the American sleepover, but um, mm. I like the way and and particularly well the the theme I want to talk more about this week was family and the the way that this theme of family gets stronger the older you get as you watch it um and what was mm. um noticeable in in watching again after several years was how much more i remembered the narrative with the old man which is um it yes. is the th- th- that is what makes this a brilliant christmas film um it's a brilliant family film it's a brilliant film with a message about Christmas and about family um, although Macaulay Culkin is very funny in the scenes with Daniel Stern and Joe Pesci and they are brilliant that is not what makes this film an amazing Christmas film it makes an amazing film but it's not Christmassy that bit so I, I would say that those those two very different parts of the film it, they, they won't make this film great. Um, there's something that gets lost in in later films, May, maybe later films in this franchise. But the thing about Home Alone is that it's two films, and it's one is Kevin versus the robbers, and there's slapstick violence, and yet the other is this poignant piece between Kevin and the old man, um, and. It kind of doesn't matter that both of these exist. They're not sort of fighting each other within the film, um, and that and that is, as I said, that that is what makes it. It makes it such a good Christmassy film. I, I would also almost double down on that. I think there's actually, actually a third narrative going on there, and that is of of the mother, um, the mother who just discovers an object mm. in the plane to Paris that they've forgotten Kevin, and her journey home. Right. So that 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 felt like a like because for almost the entire length of the film she is doing her own narrative there is no interaction mm, between the two yeah she's she's she, she's she she has early scenes of kevin and final scenes of kevin but apart from that she's by herself and she's having very much kind of a road movie in mm. many ways by herself yeah. uh, but i think it's very interesting that you, what you say there about what makes it a christmas film um, we might touch on this in, in, follow, in further weeks about the film, but the idea that the the Joe Pesci and Stern scenes aren't Christmas stories—they're at Christmas, but they aren't a Christmas story. No. No. If you see what I'm saying, and I think there's something about Christmas films. He, he says with inverted commas, where there's this the eternal debate of is Die Hard a Christmas film? There, there is no debate here. <laughs> Well, not between you and me, but generally there yes. is a debate around this. Yeah. And the idea of just because a film happens at Christmas, is it a Christmas film? Great example. Die Hard is considered a Christmas film. Generally, it's the best, one of the best Christmas films out mm. there. Lethal Weapon takes place at Christmas. Right. I, I haven't. No one considers. Le- 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 Lethal Weapon opens with Jingle Bell Rocks. There's a whole scene around the Christmas tree. Oh, yeah. It's set at Christmas, but no one considers that a Christmas Mm. film. And I think part of that is because it being Christmas doesn't matter in the club. No, it's a nice bit of of, a bit of of, of theming, a nice bit of kind of mise en scène within the film, but it doesn't actually matter. Mm. Whereas it being Christmas 
is integral to Die yes. Hard. That's the reason why it's Christmas party, the reason why he's in town, and the reason why you've got this reconnection of a family, which you, you didn't, in Lethal, you haven't got a family that's broken apart, you've got a family and a guy who's on the edge. But they don't go through that emotional reconnection mm. in a way that Christmas films kind of sell us. And Christmas films, I think, are a lot about family, whether that's your own family or or a family of your own making. But the reconnection of that family has become the shorthand for Christmas mm. in a film. Yes, yeah. Um, like you said, the, the, the time of year that a film is set doesn't really matter when it comes to talking about no. talking about this. Um, and I, hadn't, I hadn't thought about that, actually. The, the, the mother's story is particularly important. Um, and you're right that kind of the the mother story is is pointless if you don't think of it as important because the rest of the family get yeah. home at the same time, so she hasn't achieved anything yes. by by sort of taking this other route to get to Kevin, but actually she has like it's it's been about her journey her journey her her speaking to um what's her name John candy. About um, yes, offspring and about family as well. Mm. I, I think that the, 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 the learning of a film, um, and in this you go through you've got a lot of learning. You've got of Kevin learning to kind of not be a grown up because he certainly isn't a grown up, but he gets milk, he tidies up. You know, he he learns to a stand up for himself in his house, and he learns to play as part of society. Mm. Um, and his and the mother mother learns to appreciate. Yeah that i will i will say this i do feel that the opening scenes when kevin gets banished to the, to, to the attic are incredibly unfair on him yes yeah like, I, I, <laughs> I, I look i look at it now and i'm like if one of my uncles had called me a little jerk i don't think my parents would have stood no. for that um and, and genuinely, he he wants his pizza it's someone else ate and he's what he's he's they say he's eight in the film yeah, he's he's Seven eight. Or eight. Film. The actor's nine, but yes, yeah, he's he's eight. Aged eight, I could not pack a bag for a holiday to Paris. Yeah, the and everyone like, pack, pack your own bag. Like, like uh, I, I don't have a clue how to pack a bag at eight. He's, you know, he's treated like an idiot walking round the the family, yes. saying, "I don't know what to do. Help me!" And like, well, of course he doesn't know what to do. He's a kid, for kinder's sake. Exactly. So. Um, and I think that there's, that there's the, the film does it well in that opening scene. Yes, he's annoying, and yes, he tends to he, he flew off the handle, and yes, he isn't selfless. But you do get that opening that opening scene when they're all together, and there's the pizza and the coke and the fight and everything, where everyone's just a bit of a douchebag. Mm. And that that I think that that allows growth on all fronts. Mm. And even with, even with the old man who is you know, very much the that kind of wise mentor Obi Wan Kenobi kind of role in the film, even he is being an idiot. Like, he, it's within his power to rebuild with his son, which he does do over the course of the film. But he's the one not doing it. No one in this film has mm. it together. Yeah, and it means that every character goes, apart obviously the the, the the crooks, goes through a growth. Mm. Yeah, during the film, I wonder as well um, whether 
But there's something of the appeal of the scenes with Kevin and the crooks. Um, and I've said they they are what, what they can be what makes it a great film, not necessarily what makes it a great Christmas film. Um, but moving towards what makes it a great film, whether this is sort of tapping into something that people identify with. Um, and I'm hesitant to say grand sweeping things about the American ideal of self or anything like that, but there is something very um, very central to the Western idea of self, the way Kevin says, this is my self, this is my house. So he his job is to mm. protect it for his family. It's not just Kevin messing around with these two crooks and outsmarting them. He is doing this for a purpose. And whether there was something that... That, that was why the, another reason why this film is so popular. See, I, I think the actual... The, 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 the thing that lifts this film and why it's way too heavy in culture is actually more base than that. I think it's pure wish fulfillment. Look, we've all, growing up, portrayed our houses as a battle mm. zone or as a lava flow. We've all played those mm. games where you you look at your house in terms of a combat zone, you know, be it spaceships, be it this. And this film takes that to the next degree. And as a kid, the kid owns it. And the kid does really well. He, he He's inventive. He's, I would say, psychotic at various points. But he takes all the things that a kid has access to, micro-machines, you know, a, a, a flashbangs, you know, all these things that a kid has and uses it to defend his home and to become that kind of... become the man of the mm. house. And then, in addition, you've got, for the older generation, A, a kid standing up, and you've got the mother moving heaven and earth to get back to her child. And I think there's an element of wish film there for the parents, to look at, you know, well, if this happened, which wouldn't happen to me, but if it had happened, you can you can understand that mum doing everything she can to get her yeah. kid, yeah, and the frustration she feels with the police scenes and with neighbours who aren't doing anything. Mm. And I think that, I think the, the that that base wish fulfillment is one of the driving forces of why this film's so so enduring, I suppose. Yeah, that's who you mean. Yes. To be negative about this film, just slightly, just for 30 seconds. One one thing about this film I didn't like, and there's so much to like about this film, but one little thing was the way this is perhaps the epitome of the film in which everything happens at exactly the right time. So when Kevin's yes. coming up with his performance with the, with the with the shadow puppetry, the robbers happen to be going past at the same time. And it's kind of kind of like like in Wally Coyote cartoons. If Wally Coyote would just try something more than once, then he would outsmart Roadrunner. But the the robbers never think, mm. "Oh right, I've I've tried that. Now now the way's clear. I can go back in and do that again." So there is something something that comes across as a little bit forced about the way that they. I suppose they they dance to Kevin's tune a bit, but they do exactly what Kevin mm. wants them to at the right times. And and he he was a kind of I don't think for it. He always is one step ahead, so he knows they're going to do that and they're going to do that and they're going to do that. And even when you feel like that they're kind of stepping away from his plans, 
he's always got mm. a plan. And let me, I, I, with with all that, I buy it until one bit when when they they start shimming out across the uh, rope. Yes. To the um, yeah. treehouse, that was the one one bit of it where I was like, you know what, you just wouldn't. No. Yeah. That that, that that was the one bit where I was like, yeah, that, that's a little too far of a contrivance. But everything up at that point, I kind of bought. Mm. Yeah. Um. But uh, yeah, I, I think I think you're right. I think it is kind of very convenient. A lot of the um, film stuff mm. is. Um, yeah, so, so I, I would agree. It does feel contrived at various points, but I think this is where, what you're saying about the, the performances of, the, of those three is it does you buy it. Mm. The, 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 particularly the crooks, you feel they've perfectly pitched that kind of smart enough to probably be crooks, but still dumb enough to be bad crooks. Yes. Yeah. They sit somewhere in that little sort of between the two. Yeah, and it's actually one one thing that I I feel they're quite they're quite the film's quite hard on the crooks at the end because one thing that I thought was actually quite good about what Daniel Sayer did I use good in huge inverted commas because we're about to talk about criminal damage but why not flood the places you cased you've you've cased and then burgled because I mean. Mm. Yes, you are showing people where you've been, but you're also leaving a calling card with no traces and you're covering up any traces that you've left anyway. I thought, actually, that was quite smart. And the the film really didn't seem to think that. And Joe Pesci is very down on him for that. And it it turns out that the, the policemen at the end say, oh, what are you going to do that for, you dumbass? Now, now we know where you've been. So, mm. yeah, I, I thought that was... Um, they, they, yeah, I suppose it's, it's strange to think of the crooks being hard done by, but I did think that was that was quite a good thing, Daniel Cern, that kind of went below the radar in the film. I, I will say for the, for the for the comedy side of the film, if we focus heavily on the kind of the the learning and the emotional heart of it, but for the comedy side of the film, the two of them deserve all the credit in the world. The slapstick and and the and the physical humour mm. they pull off. In in the assault on on the house yes. is outstanding. Yeah. The that you feel every it, it's, it you feel every bit of pain, but it never feels like because like, half the things that happen to them would kill them. An iron down the launch shaft of the face yes. would kill him. Yeah, but you don't feel you feel the right moment. And I was to this day the scene oh, where he stands dear on, God. The nail, on the and desk. then falls backwards yeah. like. It, they, it, yeah. Any part of that would have killed him. Like, like standing yeah. on a nail, he wouldn't be able to walk, and then he'd fallen ten feet back with a little concrete floor. Like, it, how how is he not hurt more than he is? Well, we we, we spoke a couple of weeks ago about um, Zombie Two and the scene with the eyeball, mm. where physically yes, it gets yeah. you inside. This yeah. is the same, and yes, it's a very 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 different sort of film. When he stands in that nail, and I know it's coming, I know it comes every time. I'm sitting there with my wife, and both of us are like, ah. <laughs> "You feel it," and that's the one where you really kind of feel the pain mm. of it. But that they pull off those those pratfalls and the physical humour so well, and I really think it does carry that whole mm. scene um, really, really well. Having just briefly mentioning the sequence. Yes. 
Um, I must have only seen this. I think at this point there's five of them. I've only seen the first three films. Yes, there were. Yeah, um, I, th- and... I think there was there was one around 2000, and then one more recently, four and five. Mm. Um, they aren't in anywhere near as good, and they probably are worth too much mm. of your time. I'd say. Yeah. Um, Home Alone Two, Home Alone New York is okay it has the same kind of emotional beats as this as the first one and it does try and it shoehorns in the home defense scenes mm. um a little too contrived um but it you know it, it's still the same crew doing the same thing because it, it, it's worth it's worth also i think um see you just dis- describe Macaulay Culkin at time or Kevin Callister at times as psychotic and I would agree with you there but like an eight nine year old being psychotic can be actually quite endearing like an 11 12 year old mm. being psychotic is just like on the verge of being quite disturbing so I just find he's a little what? bit too old in the second one. I, I, I agree I mean, ultimately this film is just straw mm. dogs for kids um, and Straw, if, if you've seen Straw, yeah, Dogs, I think so. It's been a while. Straw, essentially, same sort of thing, uh, but as adults. Dustin Hoffman is that Hoffman? Um, is a a writer on the Devonshire Moors. His wife is attacked, barricades home against locals attacking it, and there are bear traps and gunshots and a lot mm. of violence. But it essentially is the same story. It's just the same home defense films. Um, so you're right. Like the, the age, the precociousness of Macaulay Culkin is what mm. pulls it off. Otherwise, it's just really yeah. mean. Yeah, I th- and that's that's a reason I think for the second one not being. And there are lots of reasons why the second one isn't quite as good, but that that's one of them. Mm. I, I, I I concur. So Rob, your recommendations this week? Well, I'm 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 diving headfirst into Christmas. So both my recommendations are Christmas films. I'm taking a Christmas theme okay. and I'm running with it. One of these is an old film that everyone's probably seen and one's a very brand new film that, unless you've been to cinema the weekend, you won't have seen. So the old one is my favourite Christmas film of all time. Sorry, Sam, it isn't Die Hard. <sighs> it is the 1992 Muppets Christmas Carol. <laughs> See, that I am... A brilliant film. Brilliant. It's amazing, and, and it's one in a few years to come. We will cover at Christmas at some point. Um, it is a great adaptation. It is funny. It is the Muppets bringing their sensibility to a, a Christmas story. It doesn't have the zaniness of say some of the other Muppets films, but it is just perfectly pitched. It is heartwarming. It is funny, and it's 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 as close to perfect like Christmas. Mm. Secondly, is a film that came out, I believe, Friday last week, and it's called The Night Before, starring Jason Gordon-Levitt, Seth Rogen, and Anthony Mackie. Three lifelong friends have a tradition of going out at Christmas, um, and hitting the town, and doing their best parties, and this is the story of one of their nights. It's very much in the same theme as The Hangover, and that kind of boys on tour kind of film, I suppose. Mm -hmm. But Jason God Levitt lifts it, Anthony Mackie lifts it, and even Seth Rogen, who I think can be hit and miss in his films, nails this film. Did you see Steve Jobs? No. Which was 
one of my films of the year actually it was brilliant I thought and um, Seth Rogen was quite brilliant as Steve Wozniak um, mm. and just playing against type completely and not the laugh a minute comedy guy that you think of him normally he was mm. he was really good in that so I have much greater respect for Seth Rogen than I did before I will say here he he is doubling down on his drunken high drug addled persona mm. but it's it's hilarious I went to see it over the weekend with my wife hilarious made us laugh so hard it's it's a new one whether it's down to the test of time like Muppets and Home Alone we shall see but it's worth checking out if you're going to look at something good cinema over Christmas I would say if, it, Sam. if it's down to the test of time as, as well as the Muppets Christmas Carol then that's impressive it's probably not going to do that, no. but uh, as long as everyone forgets about Elf, I'll be happy. <laughs> oh, God, I hate that film. Uh, <laughs> we we will not be doing Elf. We we, we will not no. be doing Elf. <laughs> it's Christmas Eve, you like, we are still not doing Elf um, yes. anytime soon. Yes, my recommendations. Um, one, and well, they're actually both fairly old. Although one of them is 1985, and it saddens me that that is now considered old. Um, it is an early um, screenplay credit for Chris Columbus, director, director of Home Alone. Um, and it is a similarly um, knockabout in places, similarly fantastical sometimes, focused on young people, um, now become a sort of... A cultish film, maybe even as popular as Home Alone in some circles. It is the 1985 film The Goonies. Okay. And my second recommendation is, it takes it back quite a long way um, and it's because I don't think we've we've done enough this podcast to say, as as you, you said right, right at the end there, we should have said more about how comedically brilliant Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern are. Um, and I think a good one to go back to is the um, Laurel Hardy short Big Business from 1929, um, where you get a lot of these slapstick tropes cropping up, sometimes for the first time. Um, and it's also um, not only set at Christmas, but it is a Christmassy film. Um, it involves a, a ruse they they are. Um, embarking on to do with the selling of a Christmas tree. So that's a, a very early Christmas film. Fair enough. Brilliant. I, I must say I haven't seen that one. I shall have to check it out. Good. And I only saw The Goonies a couple of years ago. <laughs> oh it, 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 it was one of those complete blind spots as a kid. I just never saw it as a kid. Yes. And and, and, and my, my, my then girlfriend was like, how have you not seen this? And so she made me sit down and made me watch it. Oh. It's very good. So next week, next week, continuing continuing our Christmas. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm actually going to uh, subvert it a little bit and look at what I probably call anti-Christmas films. Okay. So I have picked the 1999 film Go. Okay. Uh, Stuck by uh, Doug Liman, director. Staring, st- staring, starring uh, Katie Holmes, Sarah Polly, 
Scott Wolf, Jay Murr, Tilly Mithy Oliphant. It's very much a 90s film, but it's about a drug deal going down at Christmas. Um, it's at Christmas, and I think it'd be interesting, as we talked about, touched on this week, the difference between a Christmas film and a Christmas film set at Christmas. Mm-hmm. And maybe what would be considered an anti-Christmas film. Mm. Um, the rejection of the ideas of Christmas. But that's next week, guys. We will uh, talk, be back next Tuesday to talk about that. We will. And uh, just to remind you, if you want to get in touch, you can talk to both of us at Prestige Podcast on Twitter. Or you can find just me at Rob Kaiju. And just me at Life underscore Academic. And if you guys, if you are listening to us on um itunes or stitcher or podcast or wherever you listen to us if you give us a review give us a rating or whatever that that, that platform sort of deals in we really help that it means we can get in front of more people they can listen to us and we can kind of build up the prestige audience so if you could we'd really appreciate that consider it a christmas gift to us except not a bad review because no good things yeah good things because we're lovely <laughs> all right guys we will see you next week bye Prestige is a Kaiju Industries production. Check out their other work at facebook.com forward slash Kaiju Industries. Rawr.